0: Lindsay Rowland. Today we have two very special guests, two of my favorites. We have Mr. Eric Montalavo. He is the uh, founder of the Federal Practice Group here in DC. He is also a former Marine Jag, infantry guy originally, and has done a lot of work on helping refugees get out of Afghanistan. Next, another another favorite is Miss Annie Szymanski. She's a fellow advocate in the DC community with me. She's also a reserve JAG officer in the Marine Corps, and she sits on several boards for advocacy here in D.C. and across the country. So welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you, Lindsay.
0: So here's how I would like to play this today. So as everyone knows, we're here to talk about Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. We're also here to talk about Corporal Tehu. So I think in doing that, we will compare and contrast maybe the different cases as well as provide publicity for both cases. So without further ado, Mr. Montalvo, would you like to start talking about Lieutenant Colonel Scheller?
2: Sure. So I've, I've looked at the case. I'm obviously not personally involved in it. So I'm speaking from what, what I can gather. I'm aware of the charges that he's confronting, which include 88, 89, 90, 92, two counts, dereliction, failure as well as the conduct of becoming. I I find that the course of conduct by the military in recent years is very troubling, particularly as it relates to this case, because I, I feel like this is a political speech case where they're taking what should be whistleblower statements and converting them into some contorted political speech because the executive branch doesn't want to hear it. You know, if we survey, you know, the universe of statements that have been made on this topic and the facts here, you know, it's very troubling. I mean, first of all, you know, th- there is, there is a dereliction of duty and that's the, the senior officials who coordinated this, this uh, horrible and tragic operation in, in Kabul. People's lives were directly put at risk because of this dereliction of duty. People died. The 13 service members died because of this dereliction of duty for a Marine officer to make statements relating to the fact that people should be held accountable for those failures seems to be to be completely appropriate. I mean, it may be uncomfortable, they may not like it, but that's not criminal conduct. You know, if we if we look at the 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 details of what happened, you know, everything that occurred in Kabul was completely avoidable. We ceded Bagram Air Base and then created a scenario where we required to undertake a a fire drill to get people out. It was a complete disaster. The State Department was not coordinating properly. You had uh, information being sent out and disseminated, which confused people, created a crush on the airport. Just a complete disaster. And, and, and ultimately, people died as a result. You know, other nations were able to effectively remove people during that same period of time, including Britain, Germany, etc., Turkey, and yet the US was unable to accomplish the same for reasons are, that are uh, unclear to me. Sitting here, and looking at what happened, you know, why, why are the senior officials not being held accountable? We looked at that, we looked at that hearing uh, the other day, and it was a, you know, finger-pointing exercise, but there's no accountability. We start looking at the court-martials that are being conducted, you know, on a regular basis throughout the United States to criminalize the most minor of behavior. And yet we have people who have directly put, you know, persons' lives in jeopardy. And there's zero accountability. Uh, this this offends me deeply. You know, there are still American citizens on the ground, for heaven's sakes, in Afghanistan that uh, the State Department has, you know, not un- undertaken to to help get removed, and instead is blaming these you know charter flights as as the source and and and, and you know problem or or friction you know that you know they want to blame as opposed to accepting responsibility. So there is no acceptance of responsibility by this government for what happened. A Marine is obligated to report an offense under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I believe that the actions that were taken during that period of time were unbecoming and and, and dereliction of duty and and failing to do the things that needed to be be done to protect U.S. citizens. We are the most powerful nation in the world, and we ran out of Afghanistan with our tail between our legs, and that's without understanding why. there's, There's zero reason why we could not have had a force and structure on the ground, in the air, securing that area until people were safely out and, and be done. And instead, it, it turned into, you know, people with the U.S. passports approached that gate and were able to get in. So, you know, if, if they are concerned with the problem, maybe they should hold the people who were responsible for that debacle accountable as opposed to criminalizing the lieutenant colonel for the content of what he's saying. You know, and, and ultimately what he's saying is, if you, you take it uh, you know, forward, is that there's a system here and they are the ones that should be held accountable. And instead, the Marine Corps and the military at large just wants to shut people up and not have you know, critics. So this is not contempt. This is a fact. There's no Marine officer that would have been in charge of that operation that shouldn't have been held, held accountable if you were following unlawful orders to do stupid things and put people's lives in jeopardy. So, I mean, I, I just have a real problem. With, with the case, you know, maybe the lieutenant colonel, you know, could do things a little bit better or have chosen a different path. He didn't do that. But ultimately, you know, you compare him to, say, you know, this Bidman guy and the Trump you know, impeachment scenario or, or Miley, you know, and, and, and his comments. And, you know, so there are many people that are involved in this, these administrations, you know, both you know, red and blue. This is apolitical for me. You know, speak out or undermine uh, the chain of command in, in some way. And, 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 you know, holding them accountable is, is almost you know never the case because they're so senior or what have you. If you get somebody junior in the military, you know, they're very good about creating a class of criminals, you know, and compared to their civilian counterparts. You know, is this lieutenant colonel truly a felon? Is that what we're saying? Because he's saying that the Marine Corps should leave no one behind, that they shouldn't follow unlawful orders that they should save babies and children and women, you know, I, you know, I don't know if if that's, if that's where we're at, then we've got a tough row ahead uh, here in the military and our national defense and the standards that we're setting.
0: No, I think that's a really good point. And there, you know, we definitely saw the week after or two weeks after we saw the trials or the hearings that happened with Millie and Austin. And there was just a total lack of accountability. And like, you know, are we going to blame Biden? Are we not going to blame Biden? Well, we all know 14 soldiers died. So let's talk about that instead. Let's talk about their families. Let's talk about the rest of their lives, that they're going to miss those soldiers. And so I don't want to get worked up. Annie Allo, would you like to uh, make some comments on this?
1: Sure. First, I should preface my comments with uh, the disclaimer that even though I am still a reservist in the Marine Corps, none of my comments are in my official capacity and none of these comments should be taken as the position or comments of the Marine Corps. This is purely my personal, these are purely my personal views and opinions. So I have, I, I also do not represent Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, so I don't have any inside knowledge or information that's not public. I'm basing everything on what's been out in the media so far. And I think that there are, I think what you see in Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is a manifestation of what a lot of people are feeling and thinking. He just said it publicly. So I personally know that there is a lot of frustration inside and outside of the Marine Corps based on what's happened, and I don't think that that's a big secret. The Commandant of the Marine Corps and the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps even felt compelled to put out statements saying, your service matters, this is not a reflection on you, which all of that is true. It it is not a reflection on individual Marines or whether their service mattered. Or not, But it is, but what you're seeing in Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is this bubbling up feelings that have manifested from this circumstance. So I think that it's a, a symptom of what, of what is going on in the world, essentially.
0: And then I wanted to also talk a little bit about Vidman, because, you know, he was allowed to whistleblow. And he was allowed to come forward and support a certain administration. And now Mr. Lieutenant Colonel Schaller is not allowed to do that. So I think that there's a huge one of the biggest the biggest picture items here is why was that a lot? And he was a hero. And I'm pretty sure he went back to his old job. I mean, there wasn't any serious repercussions for him. So why is it that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, I mean, we, we know he's out of the brig right now, but why is he being charged if Vindman's a hero? So did someone want to take that one?
2: Sure. This is part of my initial comment, which is, you know, they're converting this, you know, for uh, political expediency, which is unfortunate. Let's compare the two issues. There was a phone call that occurred and Vindman clearly had, you know, a political agenda, and pursued that and made uh, this report not in the proper chain of command, by the way, as you recall. And, you know, this is, you know, if we're talking about process and procedure, he certainly did not do that. You know, he ran to political ally and and used this uh, as a basis to to put forward an an agenda. You know, Scheller here is, you know, maybe not as uh, savvy, but... What he's talking about is is not an opinion, it's a fact. And the fact is, is that this withdrawal from Afghanistan, how it was conducted is a complete and utter failure. The people who died there and who have died, you know, you know, you know, over the years in Afghanistan, we're all doing so because there's some mission, right? We get the mission, we execute the mission. You know what mission were we executing while we were on the ground? We weren't. We were scrambling. This wasn't a mission. It was a disaster. There was there was zero forethought given to this. You know clearly if you look at the events on the ground, nobody had a good structure. Nobody knew what was going on. The embassy folded within you know hours. It, it just it was it was mayhem. Okay, you know, the Marines did the best that they could do, but they were not given the assets um, that were required uh, to succeed. And that failure created the opportunity for people to die. The lack of OPSEC that was being circulated by a State Department by distributing these passes and, and this misinformation, you know, directly led to people getting killed. You know, th- th- this was not done in accordance with a mission parameter. Had it been done so, first of all, there would have been at least an extension on this, you know, artificial deadline. Who who, who cared whether it was August 31st or, you know, September the 30th or, you know, January the 1st? The United States of America does not, one, I thought, negotiate with terrorists, and two, you know, does not, you know, bend to the will of a Taliban regime as to protecting its people and removing them in an orderly process. This opinion in Vidman's case versus a fact in a consequence— which your people have died as a result of this failure. It's a different scenario for me, and the fact that someone is calling that out and trying to push a narrative for accountability, and then and then the response to that is not dealing with that, and instead of you know prosecuting criminally, felony criminal uh, case against the individual who's calling them out for this failure is is quite dramatic, and and I I, I would. We really need to look at the military justice system, as I've said before, and, and as you referred to the Taze case, you know, another miscarriage of justice. You know, this is about, you know, you know, testosterone and, and, and attitudes and not uh, taking a step back and understanding why this lieutenant colonel, who had, what, 17 years of impeccable service, from my understanding, correct, decided to open his mouth. Why not take care of that Marine? Why not pull him aside and say, you know what, you're right. We can do better. Instead, the the first instinct is to prosecute him for felony crimes. I mean, this this is is a really tough situation, you know, moving forward for military members. I mean, if if you want to join the military and you look at what's happening here, you know, you're going to have to think twice. Because if you open your mouth the wrong way and somebody doesn't like it, all of a sudden you're going to become a felon, a felon. Think about the consequences of being a felon in U.S. society. No, it's lifelong. Life Absolutely.
0: Lifelong. Absolutely. And I also think it's important to note here, too, that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller had a significant amount of soldiers. You know, he had a couple thousand underneath him. So the fact that those soldiers saw their leader get removed because he spoke up for them. I mean, I just I don't you know, I don't have access to those soldiers, but I just wonder what they think, because I'm going to I'm going to bet that they miss him. And I'm going to bet that they support him. But I do, I do want to segue a little bit. I think this is a great time to segue. Aniala, I was wondering if you could start out a little bit and give us, our listeners, a little bit of the in-depth detail about uh, the Corporal Tehu case. And then we can, and then of course, Eric, because you were her lawyer, we can discuss some of the discrepancies between the two cases.
1: So again, I, I was not uh Corporal Tayu's lawyer. So everything I know is based on what I've, Read and heard. So, what I, from what I understand, Corporal Tae U was admitted she was, she entered the Marine Corps with a history of some mental health problems and received a waiver. Then, later on in her military career, she was the victim of a sexual assault. And Then her mental health seemed to, her mental health problems seemed to exacerbate. Then she had some what the, what her command alleged were some disciplinary problems that sounded to me like they might have been red flags for her mental health problems. Like she was, I I believe one of the situations that she received administrative discipline for was raising her voice in the office or some something within you know the course of her duties that she wasn't she didn't seem like she was handling properly and instead of getting mental health treatment she got disciplined and then things seemed to spiral out of control from there she seemed to have a very difficult relationship with her boyfriend who was also a marine. They had an argument that escalated. She chased him into a bedroom with a knife. It didn't sound like she had ever, she ever made contact with him. He called the police, said she needed, from what I could tell, he told the police, the local police, that she needed mental health care. But instead of getting that mental health care, she essentially got court-martialed for the behavior and then was placed in the brig for an extended period of time until she plea bargained her case so she could get out, which I think under the circumstances, lots of people would do, especially if they already have a mental health problem. So to sum it up, it seems like this was a young Marine who had mental health challenges that were not treated, that were not identified. And it ended with her being labeled a criminal instead of a instead of someone who needed care and compassion and treatment.
0: And well, Anyelle, I just want to ask you this part. So the similarities with Lieutenant Colonel Scheller are that could potentially be the same outcome. Would you say that's accurate?
1: I don't I from what I've seen from Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's videos, he is pretty adamant that he does not have a mental health problem and that he does not suffer from PTSD. Wait, I, wait, his...
0: I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to clarify because I want to make sure I'm very clear with my words and I wasn't clear enough. I don't mean the mental health issue. I mean okay. the uh, legal, the legal end state.
1: Yeah, well, I think the mental health issue is going to be the differentiating factor between uh, Tayu's case and Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's case. So, If he and I think that the Marine Corps looked at that, the mental health issue from the latest task and purpose article about this that claimed that there were leaked documents proving that the Marine Corps was concerned about his mental health. So I think that that's going to be a differentiating factor in these cases, because the Marine Corps is going to basically say, "Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with you you're making these public statements, what else can we do, essentially? I think that's fair. Eric, did you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, only because I sort of chopped the path on this, on Ooh's case, I, I need to sort of clarify a few things. First of all, she had mental health issues coming in the Marine Corps because she had been sexually assaulted prior to coming in. And the Marine Corps was on notice of that. She was taking medication. They told her to come off that medication for a year so that she can enlist. So this is your, you know, recruiter story. Then prior to the incident, the Marine Corps was well on notice that she had these issues. She was actually going through the board process and had been raided, you know, 90%, including 70% for, for sex assault consequences, you know, at that time. And she had requested assistance from the Wounded Warrior uh, Battalion to be assigned there, and they refused. So they were on full notice that she was deteriorating. She had issues and almost 100% uh, disabled rating, instead, they continue to put her into uh, a scenario which uh, could potentially, you know, uh, deteriorate or or trigger her. So, you know, that's a scenario that we find ourselves in. And, And the incident that she was administratively, you know, held accountable for was a leadership scenario where she the, the uh, Lance corporals and corporals were not acting as NCOs and, 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 and as Marines. She said, you know what, let's go to the, the chow hall without our rank and let's be privates because if you guys want to act like privates, well, let's let's walk through the chow hall and be privates for a minute and understand what it's like to, you know, have the, the privilege of, of being an NCO and a senior Marine and, and, and leadership and and understand, you know, how that might feel for a moment. So, you know, maybe not the best executed if, if that is considered to be hazing, which, you know, I mean, if that's what's a crime, you know, old Marines are turning over in their graves for sure. But uh, that's what she was held accountable <laughs> for. This idea that the, the Marine Corps doesn't care about mental health, that's clear. Okay. The 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 similarity is that they're they're targeting they're going after someone and they're going to get where they want to be. This guy is going to probably either get a conviction or, or plead out and have to be uh, committed to, with show cause determination, which is likely to give him an other than honorable discharge or a, a dismissal in a, in a court martial. And you know this is something we have to take a look at and and say is this process fair. Is this process intended to do the thing that it, it was intended to do? And and it's my position that it's not, and it's failing for both both of these Marines because both of them, you know, there there was some notice that there was an issue, and leadership could have taken them aside and managed it. And they they instead of doing that, they moved directly into you know prosecution mode again. So,
1: Miela, did you want to comment on that? Well, thanks for providing that clarification on. Corporal Tayu's case, Eric, that's valuable context. The what I am concerned about in Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's case is that he put out multiple videos. So if he says, for instance, Oh, you could have pulled me aside and corrected my behavior after the first video when he was given what sounded like an order to not produce more videos and then he did it anyways, um, I think he loses some of that argument there because he had the chance to stop, he was ordered to stop, and then he didn't stop. So perhaps if there, I don't know what happened prior to the order or I, this will likely come out in the proceedings of what exactly Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's leadership did or didn't do in the process. But I think that's going to be a troubling fact for him.
0: So, I mean, just to kind of clarify a little bit, I guess this would be my my personal thoughts on it. So I think that he, yeah, because he ran those videos, they were like, there's obviously, you know, he refuses to follow orders or his gag order or however you want to say it is freedom of his first amendment. Right. And then, the rapid repetitiveness of the videos I also don't know if that was a mix of just like high emotion and so I think also like like and dislike the Corporal Tayou case that when there's a mental when there could potentially be a mental health issue the the real message of what they're saying and doing gets lost. Eric did you want to comment on that?
2: Sure. taste case and and Schiller's case are, are different in this, in this way. Tay will suffer from mental health consequences for the rest of her life. She is going to struggle as a human being to live in this world, and that's not her fault. She was sexual assaulted not only before she joined the military, but by a, a fellow member of the military, and which was completely disregarded. She was then became, became the, the focus of the Marine Corps' R, and, you know, and th- this further exacerbated and, and, and facilitated her deterioration into what happened. So, I mean, there's a pretty clear path of what, what occurred in Tay's case. As it relates to Lieutenant Colonel, you know, is it the video that's the problem? Or is it what's, what's contained in the video, right? Don't, don't put out a video. Well, if he put out a video for, say, you know, I love the Marine Corps and everything's okay, you know, he's not getting prosecuted, right? If it's you know, hey, I want to put out twenty videos about my grandma's birthday. No, nobody's having a problem. It's the content of the video that's the issue, and so you have to look at the criminality of what's in that video and determine whether it's contemptuous. You know, and is it is it contemptuous to to say that people should be held accountable for failing? I don't. I, I mean, that'll be litigated. I'm sure. I don't think it is. I, I just do. I, I find it very hard to believe that saying that someone should be held accountable for failing in their duties, you know, to to execute them in, in a certain way, you know, is, is somehow contemptuous. So, you know, it may be uncomfortable, but sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. And so I, I, just, I just don't know. I, know. I know that, you know, he, he took it upon himself to continue to talk when he was told to shut up. I don't know if that's a lawful order either. So, you know, we, we've got to go through those exercises to see, you know, when and how we're going to tell people that they can't talk because the, the standards are not the same, right? You go back to the Bidman standard, you know, is he a whistleblower? You know, is, is the Lieutenant Colonel whistleblower? You know, is you know are, are these other people that you know, undermine the chain of command that have come out in, in all sorts of political circles. Are they are they whistleblowers? Or are they are they contemptuous and, and felons? So when we're regulating speech, we have to go back to the First Amendment. We have to think long and hard about the consequences of people people's opinion that you know driving the outcome and creating you and and and, and, and cre- creating a criminal statute, right? A criminal statute, a felony. Statute. Okay. That's what's important. You're a felon if you kill someone, and you're a felon if you say someone should be held accountable for doing bad things. Those are those that's hard to reconcile. And so, whether he should be, you know, administratively dealt with is one issue, but criminally as a felon is a whole nother level. And, And so, that's where I'm having a lot of heartburn, you know, whether they give him, you know, page 11 or NJP. Or, you know, you know, separate him and say he's no longer supposed to be in the service, you know, that, that, that's one path and, you know, you're getting fired, you know, but if you want to make him a, a felon because of this, that, that's where you really have to start thinking in America, are we in communism world or are we in democracy world? And so that that's where we really have to take a look at this. I,
0: I do want to ask you this question though, because you're of because you're you were so involved in um the intimate details with Corporal teu's case. do the do the charges match each other, like the articles, the eighty nine, eighty eight, one thirty three, did did they use the same ones with Corporal u just because it's like the catch all or were they different?
2: You know, they they're they're hmm an article may be similar, right? Disrespect or disobey a lawful order, you know, those sorts of things. But the facts in each case are, are different, right? And so the, the big one for the, the colonel that he's going to have to deal with is the, the 133, which is the conduct unbecoming, becoming, because this is the catch-all, right? Enlisted aren't, don't have that charge, right? And so, you know, he's going to have to say, as an officer, you know, regardless of whether the order was lawful, regardless of this, regardless of that, I should have been behaved myself as an officer and shut my mouth, right? So that's going to be the ultimate argument. Whether an officer is just supposed to shut their mouth and deal with this behind closed doors or they're allowed to say something in public, you know, that's where we're coming to on this case. The failures and, you know, to obey an order, if there's an order and it's considered to be lawful. It could be a general order. It could be a specific order. So you could have an order that says, you know, you will not videotape, you know, dead bodies in a war zone. Can't do that. Boom. That's a general order. Everybody, it applies to. The specific order is, I don't, you don't need Eddie to show Gallagher. you know, here or there or whatever. Right. You know, and then if you disobey that particular order, then you can be held accountable. When they look at whether or not those videos and, you know, them telling him to stop, doing the videos, you know, we'll have to look at whether that was, that should be construed as a a lawful order. Now, I will tell you that you do not want to be the person testing that standard, because if you, you should follow the order, whether you believe it to be unlawful or not, and then report that, right? You know, so unless you're putting somebody's life at risk or, you know, those sorts of extreme circumstances, you know, you follow the order. And then if there's a problem, you request mass. or there there are ways to contend with that. It's not for, you know, individuals in the military to decide what orders, when and where they can, you know, follow because then we'll have mayhem. So there is some, you know, you know, reason for that. I guess the question in this particular case is whether, you know, telling someone not to talk, you know, is one of those instances where this will apply and we'll have to see how that plays out.
0: Well, so we know that Corporal Tay received a BCD. Do you think that there is a good chance that Lieutenant Colonel
2: Sheller will receive a BCD? In the military justice, officers uh, cannot. So Tay ultimately pled at a, uh, a special court-martial, which is a misdemeanor venue. He he officers are almost only charged in court-martials. In court-martial, as as felons, so general court-martial. So they have to go through. Article 32 process, and then go to a general court-martial, which is a felony level court. You know, the only eligible dismissal, discharge for an officer is dismissal at a court-martial. So it's the equivalent of a dishonorable, right? So officers get dismissed at courts-martial, which sounds a lot better than a bad conduct discharge, but it's much more severe. And then if he were to be separated through an administrative process, they call it a board, a show-cause board to show cause why you should not be uh, able to continue serving in the military, it's sort of like a firing process, which is doesn't have rules of evidence. You can get an other than honorable discharge, right? So the two discharges he may be facing are one through a court-martial conviction and then dismissal or through a uh, administrative process, which would result in either an honorable general honor honorable or other than honorable, if that's the path that they take.
0: Now, just for our listeners who are listening, I want you to like r- listen to what Mr. Montalvo said there again, because that's a very important detail. It's very confusing. So, Eric, I'm trying to make sure civilians understand this case as well. So, that's an important detail there, the difference between officer and enlisted and how it plays out, because people are asking these questions right now. So, so make sure you guys take a listen uh, to that piece there. Aniela, did you want to jump in here?
1: Sure. On the procedural aspect of being court-martialed for your, the content of your speech. One thing that I think is going to be uh, interesting to find out through this process is why it is at a court-martial. So I recall that there, were, that there was information in the media, I believe it was Lieutenant Colonel Scheller himself, who said that he had submitted his resignation request. He would requested to resign his commission from the Marine Corps. And when that happens, the Marine Corps can either accept or not accept your resignation. So I'm interested what happened there. Did he request to resign and then the Marine Corps refused to accept his resignation? And then what happened next? Did he the Marine Corps say we would like to give you a non-judicial punishment because if the Marine Corps offers non-judicial punishment to a Marine – the Marine has the right to refuse it and to request trial by court-martial in lieu of non-judicial punishment. So I'm interested in whether the Marine Corps offered Lieutenant Colonel Scheller non-judicial punishment and whether he refused it and demanded a trial by court-martial. Because in that case, is it really the Marine Corps who is saying, we're going to make you a felon for your speech, or is it Lieutenant Colonel Scheller saying, no, you're going to try me publicly, and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows it. So where the blame lies can depend on what, what procedurally happened there.
0: And I think it was probably the last that you said. That's pretty much the information that I have. Um, but Eric, did you want to jump in there on that? Because I just think this conversation sure. is just very interesting for, for all of our listeners to hear.
2: Okay, so let's go to that. Enlisted serve pursuant to contracts. It could be a two-year, three-year, four-year contract, six-year contract. So they start a contract, they end the contract, they re-enlist. They get, a dishonor, uh, they get an honorable certificate of, of discharge, and then they re-enlist and continue the next contract. Officers serve at the pleasure of the president. So once he tenders his resignation, that there's a process, and it, it takes a little while for that to uh, work its way through. I suspect he did submit that, and it, it was pending, but that he engaged in further communications. And at some point, the Marine Corps said, we're going to put him on legal hold. They call it a flag. They're going to flag him, put him on, on, on legal hold, and you know, do a report of misconduct and uh, determine whether or not we're going to charge him. So the Marine Corps could have discharged him and just said, listen you know, go. We're, we're going to go ahead and, and, and uh, accept your resignation and, and go. And that, that was already in their hands, you know, and they could have done that, in, in, you know, throughout this process, right? You know, so there's nothing holding the Marine Corps from just discharging this uh, Marine and, and letting him go. So we don't know all the details behind the scenes. We don't know what was offered to him in the non judicial punishment, you know, so we, do, we don't know what what the discussion was or the deal was, because sometimes, you know, you don't want to accept being guilty for things that you're not guilty of. And sometimes the prosecution will force up, they call it plea to the sheet and say that you're guilty of all of these things. And unless you accept that, you know, we're not going you know, to, you know, you're going to have to take it to a court-martial. So uh, this isn't just a simple, you know, I want to take it to trial. It's, you know, maybe, You know, some people have principle and they don't want to say they're guilty of something that they, you know, aren't guilty of. So, I mean, you know, that's the right, right? Like that we've completely inverted this. You know, you have the right to a process and just because you elect to exercise your rights to that process, the right to counsel, the right to due process, you know, that is not indicative of you being guilty or wrong or, or, or trying to stir up. Things. it this is his constitutional right and so you know you know, if he's decided, you know right yeah so if he's decided to to have a, a place where the rules apply and not a kangaroo court or administrative you know process that nobody else can hear his version you know yes that's a choice but it's his constitutional choice and he may not in his view have been given a choice otherwise so I, I don't view that as a negative uh, necessarily or faulting him for wanting to have his day in court. And there may be a consequence. It may not go his way. And that's a choice that he made, but at least it's his constitutional choice and he shouldn't be uh, looked at uh, unfavorably because he made that.
0: Well, in my understanding of the case, and I think we all know what my relationship is to the case here, so there's no sense in hiding it. I think that the main point here is that he, he wants an honorable. So I think that that's the goal, the end state goal here, but I do want to move on to, because there's a lot of people questioning what, so Thursday is his court day. It's public knowledge. The Marine Corps actually put it out for us. So thank you, Simplify. So I, I first want to talk about and Eric, this is an interesting one. I don't know if you're tracking cause you weren't in country, but so the Marine Corps came out against him with all his charges yet. Mr. Scheller has a gag order. So how is that fair that the Marine Corps is allowed to to basically defamation of character him, but, but, but Mr. Scheller has to stay silent. So I want to address that. And I would also like to address what we think, what we think court martial proceedings or will look like on Thursday, like just how they, how they work. And, and if we could try to explain it a little bit in civilian terms so that people understand um, what we're talking about.
2: Okay. So as a rule, number one proceedings in courts are almost always supposed to be public. And that, you know, goes all the way back in time to the idea that one way that we ensure that justice is truly occurring is transparency, the ability for somebody to sit and observe the proceedings to to evaluate, you know, whether things are being conducted in a fair way. And so a gag order in this case, I have to say, maybe in the Colonel's best interest, because the more he says, the more charges he could accrue, and so they probably agreed to that to contain uh, the situation for their client. So, I, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily. I, I, if, if I were his counsel, Eric, I,
0: I just want to ask you though, but wouldn't he have gotten the gag order anyways? Like, wasn't that wasn't that ultimately going to happen regardless of?
2: of- not, not necessarily, not necessarily, but because the thing is, what he's talking about is, is not the 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 court martial process. He's talking about whether or not these people, you know, failed to do their job. So the gag order that we confronted in the case, in, in Kupalu's case, was related to, you know, the, the government, you know, talking about the facts that were coming out in the case in a public way, and then telling us that we couldn't respond to that. that that's a different scenario, right? Here, what's happening okay. is, you know, they're probably saying to this guy, shut up. Right. Be quiet for right now while we sort through where this goes. And I don't know if if, is that what's happening on Thursday is arraignment or is an article 32 or, you know, you guys know.
0: We're a little bit. Well, it's been a mixed message between the Marine Corps putting out a message and what we're getting from the inside. So I would say it's a little bit unclear right now.
2: Uh So he may be pleading. I don't know if they you know, they may have pled to a no confinement uh, deal if they let him out of the brig. You know, I saw I think it was some reporter said well he he pled he agreed to plead and that's why they let him out of the brig that's not accurate right well i
0: would say it's partially accurate but also accurate with the fact that you said that there's a deal so i would say there's like a like a little bit of accuracy in both of those
2: statements Right. so the issue is if if they let him because there's no mechanism to you know i'm going to plead guilty so let me out of jail because if you're going to go into jail again they're not going to let you out of jail right so if you're an accused rapist You do a deal. They don't just let you out of jail. They, you know, you're going to stay in there and you're going to get what they call good credit time towards your ultimate sentence. Right. So whatever has been put together, it would seem to be that he's, there's no intention on him staying in confinement, whatever's going to be resolved will be resolved through the plea.
0: I do not. I do not expect him to do another day in the brick. That is what my, my, I expect to happen. Oh, go ahead,
2: Eric. Let me finish. So that's probably, that's probably tied to this gag order, right? So it's, so this is not a court martial issue. This is a shut up and we'll let you walk and you can get your punishment and go home.
0: Okay. But Eric, let me ask you this. I agree with you, but so why is the Marine Corps making him look like there there's putting out articles, right. That he's going to, that he could go to the brig for years. So like, why would the Marine Corps, the Pentagon reporters, why would they put that out to the American public to help smear him when we're looking for support right now for Mr. Scheller? Like what would be the reason behind that?
2: Deterrence, right. They want anybody else that thinks about opening their mouth to shut it.
0: I mean, I agree completely. Anyelle, did you want to jump in here?
1: I wanted to make a comment about his charges relating to contempt towards officials. So I think if there had been a minor variation in in how Lieutenant Colonel Scheller expressed his feelings, that he could have avoided a contempt charge, or at least it would have been very difficult for the government to prove and that is that he characterized the leadership as having failed. I think that element is going to be difficult to prove that it wasn't contemptuous. So accountability, I don't think that they, that saying that leadership should be accountable could be considered contemptuous, because that's a leadership principle, in fact, even in the Marine Corps. But publicly saying that your leadership failed, I think is going to be the harder part for him to get around. The other part of that is as just personally, I've been struggling to understand what he means by accountability. Does he mean that someone should call Lieutenant Colonel Schaller and say, you're right. I failed. I'm sorry, and admit to something being a failure. And then would Lieutenant Colonel Scheller feel satisfied that leadership was held accountable? Does he mean that senior leaders should resign in shame for what occurred? Or does he mean that, you know, someone in Congress should, should say, this is the person who's to blame? But it's a a very difficult thing for me to wrap my head around that there needs to be, that that he's calling for accountability. It is a very nice buzzword, and it is a well-established leadership principle, but I don't know what he means. Like, what do you mean by people should be held accountable? And how do you know that that isn't happening? How do you, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller know that someone, some general officer in the Pentagon is not being, you know, his life is not being threatened, that (laughs) with his career is not being threatened for what happened. You don't know when you're in that position. I mean, I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. I don't know what's happening at those levels. And I know, and I also know that it's very difficult to make those decisions at that level. So the, the thing is... This is, one of the, this is one of the ongoing things that, as a member of the military, you have to deal with. And that is people telling you what the military and what the government should do. So when people find out that I'm a Marine, it's very common for them to say, oh, you know what the government ought to do is blah, 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 blah. Or you know how we could have won the war in Afghanistan is by blah, 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 blah. And these are people who have no military knowledge, have never been in the military, have no foreign policy experience, but all of a sudden they know what should happen. And that's a really frustrating experience for me as a Marine because I've been there. I've been in Afghanistan. I know how complicated that situation is. And the number one rule in planning in the military is that the enemy gets a vote. Whatever you think the most brilliant plan in the universe would be to win this war may not happen the way it plays out in your mind because the enemy is a free thinking person who will change on a dime and they'll identify what you're doing and change their tactic, to change their strategy, relocate, and then. Your brilliant plan is out the window. So whenever somebody tells me, oh, I got it all figured out. This is what you should have been doing. And you didn't do it. So you failed. How, how can you say that without knowing absolutely every single fact? And to do that, you would have to be omniscient. So I think characterizing something as a failure is a problem for Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. Because he know, he's a lieutenant colonel. He knows how complicated these things are. He's been there. He knows how dynamic the situation is. So how can you say option A was the successful option and option B was the failure option and you went down the failure option and you disregarded the successful option? It is not that linear.
0: Anyhow, I think that was really well said. So thank you. Eric, did you want to jump in there on that?
2: I, I do. I have three points. One, the colonel's intent... Is for an investigation to be conducted, and if charges are appropriate, to to have those charges brought forward and people held accountable for their dereliction of duty. So that's what he meant. Two, you know, the senior people, as as was you know alluded to, you don't know what's going on because they get away with murder, right? There are a lot of senior officials in the government that do these things and are never held accountable. And we can go back through. A thousand examples of this from I'm gonna you know, hit up 80. Eddie
0: Walker again. I'm just gonna yeah, I mean, to say that it is already. just
2: like like it's such a long list. This idea I'm sorry, Eddie Gallagher, not, not you know, Walker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, that the senior people get to get away with murder behind the closed doors, and this and the junior people get to be prosecuted and made felons is not is not right for me. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. The, you know, the, the other thing is that there, there is a clear failure. People died. I think. It's my opinion, okay, based on me being in Afghanistan for the last 10 years and been over there 20, 30 times at at a minimum, you know, walking that ground at Bagram, walking Kabul International, you know, going to that U.S. Embassy, Camp Eggers, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we were in control of Bagram, control of Bagram, an airfield, okay? We could have, if we wanted to, bring people to that airbase and got them out while we were in control of that airfield, then no one would have died, okay? So yes, the enemy has a vote, okay? But we were there in force and we could have squashed that vote, okay? They wouldn't have had a vote because we wouldn't have been able to remove people in an orderly fashion and a lot of them, okay? Allied, okay? What's happening right now? People are going house to house and going after these people and killing them, okay? So that's what we have right now. We had control over the ground. We ceded control over that ground. Basic military, we had the Hill. We had an airfield with aircraft, defensive measures, intelligence on the ground, everything, everything we needed to move people into that complex and get them out safely. And we didn't do that. So I think that does need to be investigated. And I do think it's a failure. And, and I agree that, you know, everybody's, you know, armchair quarterback or what have you, but, you know, if, if we look at this in its entirety, I don't think anybody thinks that this was a fantastic operation that somebody did some whatever, because if we don't investigate and we don't hold people accountable for failures. Or missteps, then we can't learn. If we don't learn, we're doomed to make the mistake all over again. So, we we you know th- this if, if if we can't handle that, you know, then we're we're, we're doomed to to not do better uh, moving forward. So I, I do think that in line with the colonel's request, it should be investigated at a high level. And 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 if somebody didn't do something right, then they're held accountable. If not, you know, then they get to walk away.
0: Eric, that was also well said. This is why I love the both of you. Um, But I just want to say something. These are my words. I think that the three of us here on this podcast, because we're all three combat veterans, we've all had numerous deployments, I think we can all three agree, and I'm going to speak for all three of us, that this is about those 13 soldiers. This is about the fact that we did decide to serve, but we expect our leadership to actually look out for us with the least amount of damage possible, and that did not happen. So when people say, well, you're a soldier, you're supposed to die, no, that's not true. We believe in our leadership, that our leadership will make the right decisions, because under Trump, nobody died. There was nobody that died in 18 months. So let's talk about logistics and let's talk about tactics, Biden. And I'm, and I'm not speaking for these two because they have their own careers, but I can say this. Biden, you better be listening to this because this is exactly what we should have heard at the hearings the other day. And this is exactly the accountability piece. And this is exactly what Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is talking about. But I want to take it down a second. Didn't you two serve together in
1: Afghanistan? No, we didn't serve together in Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan as a civil affairs officer in 2011.
0: Okay. I was trying to figure out what the connection is because I knew you guys had an Afghanistan, but I know you—I knew you were both legal JAG, so I wasn't sure exactly what the connection was there. So thank you for clarifying that.
1: Sure. No problem. I think that when we're talking about how about, about those lives lost... In Kabul, I think that it's also important to understand that if other decisions were made, how do we not know more lives wouldn't have been lost? So for instance, if we stayed in Bagram and we kept that airfield, how do we know Bagram wasn't going to be under attack every single day with lives being lost, you know, repeatedly? Over the next few months in Bagram. We don't know. And that's that's a really that's a really sticky issue. I agree that lives should not be lost needlessly. And perhaps this was the the least bad option. Which sounds absolutely
0: horrible, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Eric, I wanted to
1: ask you this because
0: I you know, I'm being very intentional with my words, but yet I'm very emotional. So because I said our number one thing here was those thirteen soldiers, I also want to say that our our, our other number one thing here was Afghanistan citizens. So I if you could say something to and I know that you you know, want to be careful what we're going to say here. But if you could say something to Afghanistan citizens right now, just to give them a little hope, what would you say?
2: I'm sorry that our country is failing you right now, but there are a lot of people that are trying to correct the situation. And even though these people, including veterans groups and civilians and and donors are being vilified, uh, for trying to solve a problem, you know, that was created by the government. You know, we're, 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 we're not giving up and, you know, hold on. And, you know, I, I'm just, I, I pray for you guys and we value your contribution to our fight. And, you know, we're going to do the best we can uh, to get you out. This is just unexplainable to me that we have people on the ground, we have resources to get them out of there. And, you know, the State Department is not facilitating that. They're, they're an antagonist. And it's, you know, this, this false narrative that people are not being screened properly and, and coming into the United States. Well, you know who's doing that screening? That's the State Department. Because the State Department screens everybody before they come to the United States. They don't just yeah. get on a plane and, and come over. So, you know, th- this, this is a lot of misinformation it's a lot of cover up it, it's it's beyond troubling all these people are are you know that what i'm talking about are well documented cases both in immigration and otherwise intelligence assets green card holders you know it, it, it runs the gamut and you know and you know i had a, a pregnant woman she we got her out she she had the baby a day and a half after she landed you know that child probably would not have made it nor nor the mother had we not got out in the nick of time and that's in spite of the state department. Okay. And so that's not fair. If you had a son or a daughter, a brother or a mother, you know, running for their lives. Okay. Living like dogs, you know, hiding under, you know, you know, rocks, trying to just live one more day. And most of them are, are kids and, and women, a lot of women, we made a promise to those women that they would have equality over there that, we would support them in, in their voice, that they wouldn't be you know, suppressed the way they were under the Taliban, that, you know, that they should you know, participate in politics and justice moves and, and hold people accountable, all of these things. And then when it came time, we just left. We left them there. And, and OK, whether it was a tackle this or that or whatever, but now what? What are we doing? We're not going back in to help them when we can. We're not allowing the ability for people to get them out to do that if they don't want to do it. I, I just, I don't understand. And it's beyond frustrating me, I have to say. And, you know, they may not like me for it. And, I, you know, I, I don't
0: Eric, know. we love you. So it doesn't matter. But I do want to say this, though. I, I will say this, that obviously I'm watching from DC, so I'm not there on the ground. But there was this haunting picture that I saw. It was the... Tehran or not I'm sorry, not Tehran. I'm not in Iran anymore. It was the uh, of the university in, I think, Kabul, And it basically had a bunch of it had a bunch of women and they were sitting in the seats, but they had been there for classes prior, but now they were there in support of a Taliban rally. So they were dressed in their dark, their dark garb. And it was like haunting to me because you have to wonder. What was behind that garb? Were those the same women that like maybe a month ago were taking classes there? And what did that feel like? What did that feel like to sit there and be forced to now support a Taliban rally? Like, I can't even imagine the tears that must've been going on behind that hidden face, but that was my haunting moment. And I sat down and cried. I'll be honest. I was just like, how dare we do this to these people? But on another note, Aniela, what would you say to the women of Afghanistan, if you could address them.
1: I would say take the 20 years that we have spent there to teach you these things, to enable you to make you aware of how to stand up for yourself and do it. I know that that is something that is very hard to do under the Taliban, but don't legitimize them we're looking at a we're looking at a circumstance now on the national stage where the Taliban was not allowed to attend the UN General Assembly a vast majority of of nation states are not recognizing Taliban as the legitimate government of Afghanistan and that's how it should remain in my opinion that the the less we enable them the taliban and the less legitimacy we give them the the better it is for women for young people to change the future of afghanistan this is i when i was there that was part of my job is to teach them how to run a government teach them how to how how to run a legal system how to do things that they didn't have the freedom to do under the Taliban. And I am, like every other service member and probably every other American, very sad to see the Taliban in control there. It's, it's personally devastating because I know people there. I have personal connections with people there, people who were my linguists, people who worked in the clinics that we were funding. These are people who I know are good-hearted individuals that want a better future for Afghanistan and believe that that is possible. And I want them to know we're on their side. We're still on your side, and we want you to succeed. So please do everything you can on your end to make sure that that happens.
0: That was well said, and I just want to clarify my statements on Tehran and Iran because I was able to go to Iran for a people-to-people mission, so I actually was there, and that this issue is also huge there because, as you know, they're highly educated, but they stay inside the country, and so there's also an issue there with with highly educated people who are not able to leave the country and actually utilize their education, you know, inside the the larger picture. So, just to clarify those statements, can let's I, move on. I,
2: oh, hold on, I, I want to make a comment on this. Please. Eric? Please. First of all, if you look at the leadership that's in, in, installed right now, it's, it's effectively the same the leadership that was uh, in effect prior to before. In addition to that, there's some, some other bad guys that have joined uh, the crew. And if you go back to two cases dealing with women, for Kunda and BBI Aisha, and look at the way that justice is administered under a Taliban regime, you know, which, and for Kunduz is an example, And there's a YouTube video of her death where she challenged someone regarding the Quran and wound up being stoned to death and having a car thrown down on top of her in a ravine. And uh, it's, it's on YouTube. You can look at it. And and Bibi Aisha, another case, as I, as I recall, she didn't want to be married to a forced wedding and I believe they cut her nose off. So, you know, look, look at those two cases and, you know, and, That's the history that these women understand. And it wasn't, you know, perfect while we were there, you know, and and we we had an opportunity to move the dial a little bit. But, you know, if you're living in their control right now, you know, you don't have a choice in, in the way that you did before we left. And if those are the consequences that you're confronting... This is about surviving right now, and not, you know, pushing for democracy, because you will quickly, you know, find yourself on the, on the butt end of of a uh, noose or a knife or uh, a rock. And so, you know, while I wish they could push back on this regime, I I, I just don't in, in, in envision that, you know, being viable in the foreseeable future. And then, if we don't have engagement with the Taliban we decided to hand the country over to them. We walked away and handed them the keys. So if we you know, ostracize them and, and make them poor, you're going to increase the criminality element that's already existed and rampant over there and not, not have any influence over the decisions or, or be able to hold them accountable in any way other than re, redeploying and having to go back in and, and reestablishing a military presence. So I, I, I think we, we, you know, we can't have our cake and eat it too. Right. If, if, if we we're if we are we have chosen this path, we chose to hand over the keys, and we chose to leave those people there. So we're, we're going to have to choose to either have a conversation with them or not. If we ignore them, then you know to our own peril, because we're going to get what we what we sow.
0: And also just to talk about that, when I was in Tehran, like they told us, and of course, if you're an American in Tehran, you have to be escorted by the government, which makes sense. But they told us that if they found drugs during like checkpoints or well, I call them checkpoints, but in civilian world, we call them truck stops. If they found drugs in your truck, they would, they had a crane there and they would immediately hang you at the stop so that everybody who, who, who drove by would see that body dangling there, men and women well, mostly men because women aren't allowed to travel freely in Tehran, like absolutely crazy human rights abuses. So I think that that is, you know, a, definitely a main topic here. I do want to get back to Mr. Scheller though, and Corporal Teu. I just speculations on what we think, what we think is going to transpire uh, as the end result in Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's case. Annie Ella?
1: I think that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller is going to end up pleading guilty to some of the charges, and I think that that's consistent with his positions. So he has not, in the videos that I've seen, he has not shied away from taking personal responsibility for his comments. And so I think he's going to see that as a validation of what he's What he's gone through, pleading guilty to things that he thinks that he probably has committed, things that he can in good conscience admit to. And I think that he's going to end up leaving the Marine Corps probably less than fully honorably and have a post-service fight, either through the Board for Correction of Naval Records or some other... Type of proceeding to try to get back what he thinks that he deserves from the Marine Corps. Eric, did you want to take that?
2: Yeah, he he's not going to stay in the Marine Corps. I think both sides probably agree on that, and you know what that looks like. I I, I couldn't tell you right now because I don't I don't know what was discussed or agreed to. There are a lot of different variables that that could could affect the outcome. Seventeen years of honorable service. You know, th- this is also the a structural issue in the sense that enlisted people get to you know, re-enlist and, and have an honorable discharge every three, four years, what have you. It's an all or nothing with an officer. So pretty harsh outcome for 17 years of prior impeccable service to wind up with a less than honorable discharge. So I, I find that that's a pretty harsh outcome and hopefully that's going to be considered in the disposition of this case.
0: All right. I think that's fair. And I think that there was a reason why I chose the two of you or you chose me, however you want to look at it, to talk about this case. And I think between the three of us, we pretty much made Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's case for him, but, and what he truly feels. I do want to ask this question. Does anybody want to take, does anybody want to take on the Trump topic? Well, so. Annie Ella, did you want to
1: first before, because I,
0: I, I'm getting, Eric's been, so just so everyone knows Eric's been out of country. He has not been reading the news. So Annie Ella, did you want to take that?
1: By the Trump topic, do you mean Trump's expression of support for Lieutenant Colonel Scheller? But
0: did Trump come out and support? Yes.
1: Yes. I, I'm not, I'm not very well versed on what Trump has been saying about the case or what his role in the commentary is. But I think that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller probably needs to keep a low profile right now based on his charges and based on everything that has been transpiring so far. So I think the lower profile he can keep the better. And if I was advising him, I would say do what your lawyers are telling you to do because you pay a lawyer for a reason or you get a lawyer appointed to you for a reason. And that reason is to look out for your best interests.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify for everybody, and um, I know our listeners are tracking this is that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller came out saying that he does not support Trumpers in a sense saying I do not support Trump, obviously. And so I feel that it, it has alienated a population of his supporters that otherwise are just in my opinion a representation of the population and we are talking in regards to the 2.1 million dollars that has been raised on his behalf
2: well words have consequences right and you know if 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 you go down a road of of you know complaining or, or, or vilifying everyone, you know, then there's a consequence to that. Right. So, I mean, he's made that choice. He's clearly, you know, made his decision to articulate his opinions in a very public way and he's willing to accept that consequence. And and so, you know, I, I, you know, we can't help him because he's made that decision himself. Right. So, you know, there's no help to be had. It's, It's his, his opinion, it's his integrity it's, it's his right to say, you know, whatever he wants to say. Now, as has been said a number of times, there are consequences to, you know, things that you do. And, and you know, they may, he, may, he may be suffering from those as a result. That goes into judgment, right? Whether you can say something or whether you should say something are two different things. So, you know, maybe, you know, and hopefully he's reflecting upon that a little bit because it will frustrate his ability to have a clear message conveyed, you know, but that's not for us to to determine that's, that's for him. And as, as was said, his counsel to, uh, resolve. I
0: think I that was say, well. Oh, please, Aniela.
1: I will say this, the Marine Corps does not care how many supporters you have. The Marine Corps system of justice is going to move along, along its path, regardless of how many supporters he does or does not have, because as we've seen in cases up until this point they're the marine corps is not going to change their decision based on public support or lack of
2: public support
1: they're going to make their decision based on what they think the decision needs to be
2: right i i think the point is that you know he has a life after the marine corps that he's going to be confronting pretty soon and you know if you, if you burn all of the bridges before you get out, you know, that, that affects his ability to make a living, you know, moving forward. So I, th- I think the, the larger point here is that, you know, maybe he should be careful about, you know, burning every bridge, you know, lest he, he suffer the consequences of being very restricted in his ability to gain employment and, and make a living for his family moving forward.
0: Well said, but I also think there's a chance for reconciliation with uh, our former president. I'll just throw that out there. But I do want to, I do agree with you both. I think that there's going to be a lack of retirement here. I think there's going to be, there is going to be VA benefits. This is just my speculation, Lindsay Rowan's speculation. I do think there's going to be issues with the potential use of his GI bill for himself and his children if he does not get the discharge that he needs. Another point I want to bring up, and I and and we talked about this the other night on a conversation. Can you talk to me about Arlington and the different discharge statuses that you have to be buried there and the army versus the VA owning it?
1: I'd have to re- remind myself of the, dis- the exact technicalities of the discharge statuses, but the, the overarching issue is that Arlington is not a VA cemetery. It is run by the Department of the Army. And so it operates under its own rules. And what, when people look on, you know, va.gov to say, can I have a, can I be buried in a VA cemetery? That's not automatically true for being buried in Arlington. And if you have less than a fully honorable discharge, there would have to be. Special exceptions made for you to be buried in Arlington. It's a lengthy process under the best of circumstances. If you make it more complicated with things like less than fully honorable discharges, there's a very real and good chance that you will not be buried in Arlington, particularly because Arlington is basically getting full. And there's legislation in Congress right now about what to do. About it getting full, and where to move it to, or not move it to, or what criteria to allow moving forward in the future. So I wouldn't see somebody with a less than fully honorable discharge getting accepted into Arlington for burial.
0: And I think that's a really important point to look at. And I was talking, I was talking to Lieutenant Colonel Scheller about this the other day. I was like, Can you imagine in like forty years? when your sons go to bury you in Arlington, that you're not allowed to be buried there because you don't have the discharge. And we understand that he can upgrade that discharge over time, but how disappointing that the one man that stood up for our country during Afghanistan couldn't be buried in Arlington. And I I just, I find that very disturbing.
2: Just to, to your point about the retirement, he's not retirement eligible because he doesn't have 20 years. So that's not even on the table.
0: Right, Right, Eric, but right, Eric, but he can go to a reserve unit somewhere and he could ride it out for three years and then he can get his full retirement.
2: Well, OK, the, 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 just from the Marine Corps side of the house, you know, the Marine Corps, I think properly so, says that, you know, you don't, this is not you're not entitled to another day in the Marine Corps. You have to earn that every day. And so if the Marine Corps is determined that he has not earned his right to do that, that he's not going to be given the opportunity to do so. And so so that's a very hard line that, that, that we've held for you know, our entire history. And, you know, you have to earn the title of a Marine, you just you're not going to be given that. And just because you served, you know, 17 years honorably doesn't mean that you're just going to be given, you know, three years to sort of sit in a a closet and count basketball. So I, I just that's not a realistic outcome here. And I just don't see that happening.
0: Well, which goes back to my point of why he needs an honorable discharge so that he's, he has these options. And I think that's like sort of the real point here is that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller wants an honorable discharge. He needs an honorable discharge. And I think he, I think he deserved it. Just Lindsay Rowland's thoughts. To move on. I do, because we're running out of time. We're not running out of time. I just like to keep podcasts, you know, under like an hour and we're already at an hour and a half. So I would like to do final thoughts on this. I do want to, but I I do want to talk one more thing. I want to talk about the soldier that went to the Trump rally, who was not in uniform, who Trump brought up. This is the baby from Afghanistan. He was one of the Marine Corps soldiers that was involved in in the baby that came over the fence. So a former, our former president, my former president, um, Mr. Trump invited him to a Trump rally about two weeks ago. I'm just giving everyone background more for my audience. and he. What came up on stage, he said nothing, nothing political. He was wearing civilian clothes. So he's in, he's in full regulation because he said nothing political. So then the media came out with task and purpose who, if you, if you know anything about what I've been posting, I'm pissed at task and purpose right now. So they, they put out an article about how he was going to receive a reprimand or UCMJ or, you know, whatever, some sort of like reprimand from his leadership. And then immediately after that, almost within like 24 hours, the commandant of the Marine Corps came out and said that he was in full regulation, which he was. But I think it was because Lieutenant Colonel Scheller was sitting in jail and he was trying to squash it before that became another issue of First Amendment rights. Does anybody want to take that one?
2: We'll go back to the beginning of you know why people are in the military service and there's a rule that applies and, and that rule is that no you're not entitled, you don't have a right to join the military. We discriminate against all sorts of people, short people, you know, tall people, you know, we, they're, they're just there's a whole lot of discrimination that goes into the recruiting process, you know, and you know, mental health, diseases, et cetera. So and there there are reasons for that because it's a lethality issue. That's why orders are important, because if everybody's on their own program, we can't fight a fight. We can't win a war. And you know there, there are limitations placed on our service for m- most of them for good reason. You know, my, my main umbrage in this whole scenario is, is the, the felony level versus the administrative level. So, you know, to the point, you know, this the, you know, that people can be told how to do things within you know, there's a reason why we don't want people in uniform politicizing things. It's because we, you know, we've learned a lesson, I hope, in, in history that when the military becomes a political tool, then it's delegitimized and we we could have a problem, right? And 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 so I, I do think that those rules are there for a good reason for both sides or all sides. And you know, we need to be careful about that. Whether the commandant did that or didn't do it, whatever, I you know, I'm a, I i can not get into you know, that I have no idea, but, you know, it sounds like the young man followed and, and, and good for him and he's going to be OK. And and but I do think the rules are there for an important reason, you know, because we have to keep the, the military apolitical or, or we're going to have an even bigger problem in this country than we already do.
1: Daniela? I agree about the need to keep the military apolitical. And that's the root of these ethics requirements and ethics rules because they serve a very important purpose. So I think that if there was any concern in this Marine's mind when Trump invited him to the rally that he should have checked with his command, and then he would have had sort of what we call a safe harbor that I checked. With the designated ethics official in my command. She said that this did not violate any ethics rules. Therefore, I went and I'm in a safe harbor of not having violated any of the ethics regulations. So in a circumstance like that where a Marine has knows that he's been invited, I would say you need to make sure to check and then you won't have to deal with this on the back end of potential discipline or allegations of misconduct, because that's the only thing that will be certain to protect you. So service members,
0: take a listen to what they both said, because make sure that if you do want to go to a rally, make sure you're doing it correctly, because that is absolutely your right to go to a rally in civilian clothes. But make sure you do it correctly so you don't get in trouble. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's do final thoughts. Eric, final thoughts?
2: Well, I think the last point is the most important point, and that is there is a way to do things. And if you work within the law, you will protect yourself, your family, and your future. And if you give them, you know, what the Marine Corps would like to say, an Irish pennant, you know, exposed arm, broken arm, you know, there are going to be severe consequences out there. And I'd rather you, you know, measure twice, cut once before you open your mouth or, or do something then uh, get yourself in trouble and then try to dig your way out. That's not what you want. You know, this is America. We have free speech for a reason. It's important. And that's how we hold people accountable. That's why media is not important fourth arm of the government. It was ingrained in, uh, into our, our constitutional fabric. You know, freedom of, of, of opinion is, is critical to our democracy. We have to hold everyone accountable in that way. And it's something we should, we should cherish uh, and protect in, in the fiercest way. Uh, You know, moving forward. So, you know, as it relates to those things, you know, we we really have to defend that at at every level. And as it relates to the mental health issues that uh, we touched upon briefly, uh, almost done, you know, we really as a country have to get ourselves squared away on that issue because there are a lot of people suffering out there in very in varying ways etc and and we really need to figure out how we can better uh manage that uh, because it's it's something that's going to get worse not better over time especially with those long-standing wars and, and 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 everything else that's been happening and then and then to the afghan people that sacrificed themselves to to you know be on the american team and, and with some hope and promise of the shining city that reagan spoke of you know to come here and 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 give their family a future, you know, we're there. I'm not alone. There are other people that are trying to, to help you and, you know, just hold on the best you can because we're coming.
1: Great message. Annie you're up. That was a great message, Eric. The, what I would want to leave people with is the understanding that people like Lieutenant Colonel Scheller are needed in the military. We need, and when I say that, I say we need people who are passionate. We need people who care. We need people who are brave. We need people who are strong. That's what our military needs. That's what the Marine Corps needs. And although there is dispute about how Lieutenant Colonel Scheller delivered his message and the words that he chose, the passion and the desire to improve everybody's circumstance, was very clear in in his message. It's hard to watch his videos and not almost feel the emotion that he's feeling. He's so intense. And sometimes that intensity translates into saying things that, you know, you didn't script and you didn't mean to say it that way. And maybe you use different words than you should have used. But the passion is clear. And I don't want people to think, that we don't want passionate and emphatic people and brave people in the Marine Corps because that's what makes us the greatest fighting force in the world is because we have these brave, courageous, strong, passionate people who care. And that's fantastic. I just want to make sure that people also know that you got to look out for yourself in those circumstances. And sometimes you got to admit when you made a mistake. Sometimes there are several times in every long military career. I've been in the Marine Corps for 21 years, and almost everybody that I know at this stage of my career has been in for a majority of their adult life. Mistakes are going to be made. You're going to say things you don't mean. You're going to have days that aren't your best days. And there are ways to recover from that and be honest, be true, accept responsibility, make sure that you're the you're living the example that you want others to see so i think that lieutenant colonel scheller shows a lot of those a lot of those principles and a lot of those qualities and for that i really admire the fact that he is that kind of person and that we have those kind of people in the marine corps so i'm not trying i i will not say that lieutenant colonel scheller is all bad he has great qualities but at some point, you know, he, he might have to own up to some potential UCMJ violations in the process. And sometimes that happens.
0: And I also think it's important too that. He, he just owns up to it because he is guilty of those actual charges, but his message was, his message was on point. So, so stand in front of the judge and say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Got it. Check. And then move on with your life because you know why he's got a powerful message and the American people are watching And that's just my opinion. I do want to say, though, one thing, one of the reasons why I did have you guys both on this podcast is because I think it's really important that civilians understand this. Because I think for so long, especially after 9-11, there was a huge divide between military and uh, civilian because you used to be able to drive on post as civilians. But then after 9-11, it got locked down. And so I think there's a need for for the average American to understand the military better. And I think this is a really important time to do that. So I appreciate you using, you know, civilian-like terms. And because if if they don't understand the Lieutenant Colonel Scheller case, then they can't understand how his First Amendment right is violated, how he could be incarcerated without due process. They don't understand those things. And we do because we know UCMJ and we know the the... The, the system. So I just want to thank both of you for helping me make people aware that maybe don't understand, have a better understanding of what's going on. So thank you. And all right, I will see you guys later. Bye. Thanks, Lindsay. Have a
2: good night.